Welcome to another edition of Off the Bench. Zach Rosen here with Jeremy Hyman and Chris Gehring. And our special guest today is ESPN's Brian Windhorst. Uh, Brian, how's it going? You ready for this NBA season to begin? Yeah, you know, um, the this, this cycle of the NBA calendar now, um, like the peaks are like uh, the summer, obviously, and then right at the start of the season, and then there's like a lull, yes. and then it sort of re-peaks at Christmas. So what I'm really looking forward to is that lull. <laughs> That's right. um, like after the first week of the regular season when everybody's just sort of chill and so everybody sort of rides side saddle the NFL and college football and like my bosses leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> that is actually what I'm looking forward to um, is the lull. Um, and we get a little, another little one like in March after the, after the trade deadline when the NCAA tournament takes center stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So those are now – what I refer to in quotes as the off season. <laughs> um, those are my two my two periods. So coming up here, um, that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, especially this summer. I mean, yeah, it, was... it just seems like it has never ended. Like this summer just seems like now we're here, and there's just been these little bits of news that have just kind of leaked, just leaked out. Yeah, at I different mean, times. the other thing it's is, I f- there's a chance that the the league may end up manipulating the draft a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so draft season may. I mean, already the NBA Finals moved back a little bit because they they spread it out to 18 days if you get seven games which you don't have every year and so then that pushed draft season back a little bit and then um the season now begins a week earlier so just in those just in those calendar manipulations you have like two and a half weeks less of quote-unquote off season and then you've had the off season craziness that we've had the last few years so um yeah it's uh is a whole bunch of different things happening. And, um, you know, in talking to the players during the training camps, they're referring to their off season as like two months. Um, For a team that didn't make it to the finals or didn't make it to the playoffs, the off season is, you know, April, May, June, well, half of April, May, June, July, you know, August, September. It's actually a lot longer, but even the players feel like their off season is crunched because the way they – Put in work in, in their stuff that their seasons year round too. They like take like two months off and then they start working. And they yeah. n- now teams have training camps mm-hmm. before training camps where they all get right. together. So it's just sort of naturally happening this way. Yeah, that's that's exactly right, and that's how we feel too with trying to figure out our putting together our plans and our schedules and our summers, trying to figure out when's the best time we can can you get away. When can you not go? What is the you know the busy times of this season? It feels like now you almost have no time because it's just so wild. Yeah. Um, I guess we we kind of joke about it a lot that it feels like every summer keeps getting crazier than the one before, D- and it doesn't seem like it's going to end anytime soon. It's like next summer probably could be even more wild than this one, just with well, it's lining so, up. Yeah, again, so it's a multiple, it's a it's a layered thing. So, number one, we've had incredible salary cap growth. Right. So as a result, I mean, I can remember. When I like to say when I was a kid, when I was a kid, you'd only had like three or four teams of salary cap space in a summer and and free agency moved slower, mm-hmm. but um, there was less action. Yeah. So like, you know, you would all wait for what those four teams did. What, what those four teams that had salary cap space? What would they do? Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, for the last four or five years, there's been 20 teams with mm-hmm. salary cap space. Right. So as a result, there's a lot more action. Then you have the fact that star players are signing shorter contracts so that they are, are, are entered into it more. And you have just, in general, an unprecedented uh, period of star movement within teams. Some of it's trades. Some of it's obviously free agency. 
Um, and so as a result, you have all those things come together. And um, in addition to just, uh, you know, even the fact that the Warriors are so good, some teams are kind of punting a little bit, right. you know, yeah. um, and selling off their stars or buying out their stars or whatever. And I think that's all of those things come together. I don't think that this will last, you know, year. I don't think this is going to become the new norm. I do agree that next summer, this is a lot of star players, some really big names. Yeah. It will be crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and then once those star players move, then there'll be a second, you know, layer of stuff. But the salary cap space is going to be going away. Um, yeah. We're not going to be seeing 15 teams with cap space anymore. Right. We're going to go back, I think, to the era of let's see what these five teams of space do. Everybody knows what the five are. Everybody right. knows mm -hmm. who the free agents are. Everybody sort of waits around and eyes it. I mean, I think that'll be a cyclical thing. And as we look at as we look at now, the Eastern Conference, obviously, here with the Wizards, the Wizards are one of those teams where the you know keeping the core intact has been the focus, and it's kind of been kind of the exact opposite of all this shifting. And so, you know, for us sitting here looking at the Wizards, looking at the Eastern Conference now, what's your take on kind of their approach to solidifying? Obviously, keeping John Wall and Bradley Beal is a is a huge is a huge focus with their age and their ability, but kind of going a little bit against, I guess, the grain of, of being in the play for, for big market guys. Yeah, so the Wizards did something pretty remarkable. They drafted three times in the top three, and was it a four-year span, I think it was? Yep. Um, yeah, right. Like 10, 12, nine, and 12, 13. And 13. So yep. five-year span? 10, 12, 13. 10, 12, 13. Okay. John, so Brad, four, yeah. So yep. four yeah, 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 four um, years, yep. They drafted uh, three guys who ended up being core players who they've signed extensions to max extensions. Right, yeah. Um, that's pretty good right um uh you know you you know you look at like for example you look at a team like the celtics um the last player that the celtics drafted and this is a this is a team that's regarded as a um as a great organization right the last mm -hmm. player the celtics drafted that they extended was who you want to take a guess Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce, yeah. Uh, Rajon Rondo. Rondo, okay. Oh, okay. Now, they yeah. gave Avery Bradley a contract, but, like, gave him an early extension. Right, You okay. know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yep. Um, so, um, that's just tells you that yeah. just because you have good draft picks doesn't mean you will draft good players. Right, right. So, the Wizards did something. You know, they went through the rebuild after, um, you know, Arenas and Richard and Antoine Jameson and Karan and everything left. Um they did a really good job in the draft. They hit on those guys. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. now that they hit on them, now they got to pay them. So they mm -hmm. are right now. Um, but now you have your core. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I know they like to say, okay, now you know, we, they, they have Gortat under contract and they have uh, Markeith Morse under contract. And, you know, I assume they'll get Ubre taken care of. Yep. Um, and they'll say, okay, we have our sixth. It doesn't actually go that way. My guess is at some point there will be a, a change to that. But, they can sit there and, and look at the other teams in the East and say, okay, we know what we have. We have um, traction. These guys have been through some, some stuff. Um, last year's playoffs being an example. Right. And yeah. in theory, like you see with college teams, when a team can play with itself, uh, play together for a period of time, they can get some traction. So ideally that's what it goes. It doesn't always work out that way. Right. Um, but I can understand why that is, uh, you know, that is an excitement. Um, and even the some of the role players they have you know under contract for a while. So um, I still think that at some point they'll probably need to make some adjustments to the to the core. But um, I think in general they feel pretty good with where they're at. 
Yeah, and that's where that's where I think everyone right now, from the Wizards, kind of the fan base and sort of the pulse on the team, is feeling. You know, we know we have a really good team here, but can they be a championship level team? And I think that's the question people are now asking, and we're trying to t- discuss that too because. In this NBA landscape, you need, what, at least three all-stars to just to compete. Is that yeah. fair? Well, you think about it. There's going to be a quite a – there's going to be a couple of um, teams with three max players yeah. that may not make the playoffs or be in trouble. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. know if the Pelicans are going to make the playoffs. I mean, they should. Right. they got three max players. Right. You look at the, um, the Grizzlies. they got three max players. Right. I don't know if they're making the playoffs. I really mm-hmm. don't. You look at the Trailblazers. they got two max players who are really good. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to fight to make it. Um, the Nuggets are another team. Uh, probably They're probably going to sign Jokic to a max. They're going to have two max players. Um, and they're going to probably sign Gary Harris to a close to a max contract. They're going to have a, a really expensive team that may not make it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just because you have – you're right, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't guarantee anything. Um, what I would say um, about – one positive that the Wizards have is – they haven't won 50 games in 25 years or what? No, 35 well, almost years. 40. Almost 40. Okay. Yeah. 40 years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they haven't been in the conference finals in how long? Almost 40 years. Just okay. about the same. So yeah. they have a peak that they can hit mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. Both of those things are in their wheelhouse, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, I, you know, they were great at home last year. Right. Mm-hmm. And the East, especially the bottom end of the East, is going to be pretty weak. So I envision the, the Wizards – rolling through some of these Eastern Conference teams who come in to, uh, to D.C. and just dispatching the Knicks and the Nets and the, and the Hawks and the Magic and the, and the Pistons and just slapping them around and knocking up a bunch of wins mm-hmm. and putting themselves in the top three so that they have home court in the first round and maybe even the second round. And they put themselves in a position to declare victory on the season. Because if you, if, you, if you get up to 53, 55, 56 wins, which this team should, Mm-hmm. you can say that the things have improved. And if you're able to reach the conference finals, you can say we're taking a step forward. That's actually a luxury because if you, if you flatline a little bit in the NBA, there's pressure to make changes. So even though I can look at the Wizards and say, under certain circumstances, I can see them winning the Eastern Conference. Um, that's the only goal that the Celtics and Cavs can have. Mm-hmm. If either of them fall short of that, they will have been deemed to have had a less than acceptable season. Wizards have a little bit of honeymoon wiggle room left. Um, and, so that, and, so, and the fact that they're under contract and they have that. Yeah. And look, if Ernie was sitting here right now, he would say, well, we hope to accomplish that. Right. We hope that, you know, because yeah. there's been so many injuries that I wouldn't guarantee anything either. Right. But I think yeah. the Wizards have a great chance to have a season that will be deemed for the franchise a historic season. Yeah. Um, without achieving the highest goal. And to me, the highest goal would be to win the East. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it can be done, but they don't have to hold themselves to that standard. And that's, a, that's a good, actually a good place to be in. I totally agree with that. And we've heard that from some of the, the players when they ask their expectations, Scott Brooks, when he talks about it. And, the, you know, when you come into a training camp, when you ask what are your goals, everyone wants to win a title. I mean, all 30 teams want to win a title. But realistically, I think you've said it, 
I mean, very fairly. This team, if they won the East, if they won over 50 games, made it to the conference finals, that's the next step. And so if they don't win the title this year, they know they have, you know, this core, whether they're going to stay the same or not moving forward, but this core is going to be here next year and the year after. So they have, they do have that wiggle room. And that's why I think that's a fair assessment of where this team stands right now. Yeah. And looking, and looking at the East and this team, obviously with, with the, with the relative youth of, of guys like Brad Beal, Otto Porter, for you looking at this team as, you know, relative to the conference, where on maybe either the starting side or obviously the bench, you know, had some issues last year. Where do you think the growth has to come from to get to that, you know, that 55 wins, two seed, three seed in the East? Listen, I mean, I can sit here and, and we can have a big breakdown about right. Mike Scott and we can, have a, we can talk about Oubre and we can talk about, uh, I mean, when we, we can have a nuanced conversation about Jan Mahimni and how he's got to change his game and play more outside. But the answer is the franchise player. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. John Wall is moving into a zone of, of rare air. And, you know, three years ago, I think you'd, if you'd had a conversation, who is the best point guard in the Eastern Conference, you could have presented strong cases. Well, it's Kyrie Irving. Well, it's Kyle Lowry. Well, it's John Wall. Um, at this point, especially the way he plays at both ends and especially how healthy he's returned from the knee surgeries, mm-hmm. John Wall is the answer to that question. And now you're getting into the fact of where does, you know, is he one of the best players in the league? Mm-hmm. Now you're like, is he a top 10 player? Is he a top seven player? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you need to compete at the highest level. So basically, John Wall, who signed one of the largest contracts in the history of the NBA um, and is in, entering into his prime years and is healthy and is experienced, and, and he is the guy who needs to elevate his game and say, I'm going to be a difference-making player that will turn the Wizards from a mid-seed team to a yep. elite-level team. And because in the NBA, that's those, those jumps are driven by your franchise superstar player. Yep. And he has the ability to do that. Um, yep. He has the ability to dominate on a regular basis. He has the ability to carry them through a playoff series. Yeah. Um, he, you know, mm-hmm. circumstances have happened. You know, he's, been, he's battled injuries before and all that stuff. He can do it. Yeah. So... Um, I think it's easy to say, well, he's, you know, he's carrying a big burden already, but the reality is, no, you, you, there's always a bigger burden Mm -hmm. for the superstar player to carry. Yeah. I mean, and we've certainly seen obviously in smaller examples and and fairly big ones too, how he's able to elevate guys like Jason Smith, finding good spots on the floor. Brad Beal obviously benefits from him all the time, but his whole career, Jared Dudley. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It goes on and on. Yeah. Plenty of guys, you know, go on and say, look, you know, Garrett Temple is another good example of guys who say like, look. John Wall said, put me in this position that I'm in now like Steve to Nash get a contract and move on. Yeah. yeah, we joke that he's gotten a lot of guys paid in this league, and yeah. I think that's, that's fair, and I uh, agree with what you're saying. I mean, that's – John, we – I think him elevating his game to that top 10, top 7 range, that's where he's going to have to be to lead this team to a title. So we're excited here in D.C. for that, and that's um, – you know, that's sort of the hope for what And the window is kind of open for him, right? Because mm-hmm. um, the East has kind of been drained of some talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's there. It's there for him to – and, look, he's been an all-NBA player. I mean, it's not like he hasn't proven it. But, right. like, it's there for him – I mean, it's there for him to be, like, 
when they show the montage of the leagues, but when they promote the league of him being on there. And, you know, the Wizards are on Christmas Day this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and when in, in my mind, when they play that game on Christmas Day, he's the biggest star player in that game. You know, mm-hmm. when you look at Boston and, and Washington, I think he is a bigger, a better player than Kyrie Irving. He's not more popular than Kyrie, mm-hmm. but he plays both ends of the court. And he's going to have the opportunity to play Kyrie without LeBron. Right. And, um, you know, he and Kyrie have had, over the years, they've sort of traded knockout blows. Like, there have been games where John has shown Kyrie up, and there's been games where Kyrie has shown John up. Um, He doesn't have LeBron anymore. So, and I know he's got a good team, but, you know, John should look at every opportunity to play Kyrie as as an opportunity to make a statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you know, he thinks that way anyway. Oh, that he's yeah. an ultimate competitor. He so, loves the big moments. Um, you know, it's it's all there for him. Like you know, he can, he, especially with just the balance of power and the balance of talent. He, you know, when they when they pose for the Eastern Conference All Star team, he can be standing next to LeBron in the front row. You know, holding the basketball. Mm-hmm. You want to know something? You know, go look at the all the All Star teams. Yeah. Look who's holding the basketball in the in the photo. John Wall. I mean, it sounds corny. Yeah. yeah. John Wall could be the guy holding the basketball. Yeah, you that's know? fair. And that's and 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 with all due respect, he's being paid to do that. Right. And the Wizards are going to be more than just like a fun little mm-hmm. story. He has to he has to hold the basketball. Yeah, that's fair. I know you chair. talked at length with uh, Scott Brooks at training camp. What have you made of the job he's done, especially transitioning after that year? He kind of took a sabbatical. He, he got this job after what was, I mean, quite the run in OKC with some superstars, just yeah. the way he settled in D.C. Well, first off, he's a former point guard. So he's gotten good stuff out of John Wall already. Um, and the way the Wizards improved as the season went along last year, um, and whenever you have a, a year where you build your team through salary cap space, um, typically you're going to be a little bit thin the next year. Now, part of that for the Wizards was some of the guys they signed you know, got hurt or didn't work out. But they've now gone through another cycle, so they've been able to add some the teams just you know, deeper. Like you're, I think you'll see this year with the, with the Celtics, for example, because they had to clear all the space to sign Gordon Hayward, they don't have the depth that they had in the past. Give the, give the Celtics another year, give them another draft and another free agency cycle to add players, they're going to be a better team next year. So the Wizards will ha- have given Scott more resources to deploy on the court. I mean, he was in a situation last year where by the conference finals, there was like four players he could trust. Right. You yeah. Know? It was a, yeah. It was a tough situation. Which makes it even more incredible how far right. they were able to get yeah. um, get over that know, hump. In that conference finals, you know, I was, I was watching it very close. It's conference semifinals. I was watching it very closely. So you had two things going on. You had Brad Stevens, who was working with smoke, mirrors, and pixie dust to hide Isaiah Thomas on defense and then on offense put him in position to be successful when the entire defense was looking at him. Mm-hmm. And he did an amazing job yeah. Yeah. because Isaiah had some incredible <laughs> games in that series despite yeah. him being the focus. And then you had Scott over there who was, like, looking down his bench and scratching his head going, how am I getting through these games? Yeah. Um, you know, and that's one of the things that makes a playoff series, like the, the slow wind of tension, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're, 
you know, if, if you're a, if you're an observer like me, where it doesn't really matter who wins or loses, um, my life's not going to change. It's going to change where I'm going to be for the next two weeks. Right. There you go. Um, although I, I will say this, uh, two years ago when, uh, the two years ago when the Wizards swept the Raptors in, or in the first round? Yes. Um, uh, was that two or three years ago? Three, uh, I believe. Well, 14, two, 15? Yeah, yeah, that was the, right, yeah, 14, 15 season. I've never cheered more for the Wizards than game four because <laughs> I was going to be able to go home for yeah. like five or six days as opposed to going back to Toronto if yeah. that series extended. Right. So I was thrilled that the Wizards won that game. Other than that, uh, we don't care. So it gives me the opportunity to to really watch and enjoy the machinations of what's going on. Like I like to watch in the huddle when, you know, the the bleep is going down. You know, because <laughs> yeah. yep. you know the, I look around, the fans are all pulling their hair out and they're all upset. Meanwhile, it's like a great moment to evaluate stuff and just mm-hmm. to evaluate what's happening. Um, and Scott's been in a lot of those moments. Um, he knows how to handle those moments. And um, now that he's He's got a little bit more ammunition on the bench, and hopefully they'll be healthy. I mean, obviously, you've got Markeith that's out, and that's that's that stinks. But you also rec- recognize when you're a uh, a real competitive team that health in October and November don't you know it's not important to have those players. That it's a bummer, but um, you really want the team to be healthier later. So you know, hopefully that gets done. But you know, Scott is a quality coach, and when you talk to the the you know the lead dogs in the Wizards organization. You know you mentioned earlier how they say, "Oh, you know, we got Bradley Beal for four years, we got uh, John Wall for six years, or whatever it is, we got Otto Porter for five years, or four years, or whatever it is." They say we've got Scott Brooks for four years. Mm-hmm. They look at him yeah. as as an asset. And right. Um, you know, right now the coaching in the NBA is as strong as it's been. This is my 15th year covering the league. It's as strong as it's been. You don't, there's, you know, there's a couple of places where you stick your eyebrow up, but generally you look at the league and there's not like, wow, there's a problem in that spot. Um, so the coaching in general in this league is strong right now, and Scott has shown that he's you know, one of the guys that um, is in that group of guys who's delivering at that level. Yeah, that's a good that's more of good points from Brian Windhorse who's joining us from ESPN he covers the NBA nationally um, so we've talked Brian about kind of how crazy these summers have been I'm interested just in your take of just the league in general how kind of wild it's gotten almost sometimes feels like it's a bit soap opera-y um, kind of with between all the dramas you know some of it's a little bit more lighthearted and the you know the emoji wars that type of stuff on social media some of it's serious issues, like some of the political activism we've seen more recently with the NFL, but it's probably going to leak into the NBA as well. I'm just curious your take on or how much that you've seen that change in your time covering the NBA to where it is right now. I think, I think you have to take a step back and look at the broader issue, which is the um, we're also in an era of players understanding their power in the league. Yep. Um, you saw in the NFL that when the players push back, the owners – for the most part, join the players mm-hmm. and support. Because at the end of the day, owners need players more than they need tax breaks or advantages for their side businesses. And the players are starting to understand that. And um, they understand it in the way they negotiate. They understand it in the way they um, conduct themselves. And I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like the college scandal that we've seen recently. Yeah. Um, I don't really care 
about players getting paid money. Yeah. Like they should get paid money. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I'm not saying, you know, there's a there's a line you can't get paid money. You know, I I went to Kent State. Kent State's barely Kent State's operating a a, a, a losing uh, athletic department. I'm not saying like those guys should be, you know. But I yeah. mean, if a player got paid a hundred grand to play at Louisville, good for him. <laughs> you know, like if you're looking for some journalist to do a story with like moral outrage, it's not going to be here. I'm going to yeah, be like. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you got 150, so, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, because uh, they do have the power. And, um, you know, if I'm a college kid, and especially if I come from difficult circumstances, or but even if I come from a rich family, wh- why should the coach have a $50 million contract? And, yeah, they say, oh, you get an education and everything like that. Well, that's all well and good. That's a, that's a, that's a fringe benefit. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the, the shoes and the uniforms and the travel and stuff like that, that's a fringe benefit. That's mm-hmm. like an NBA player getting health care, you know, getting, um, uh, you know, right. vacation time or whatever. You should, you should get that, quite frankly, at the, hi- at the highest level that we're talking yeah. about here. Yeah. So um, we're in an era where the players are taking more control over their careers and more power, and they're doing it with the media too. Mm-hmm. The players are going around the media more and, um, because they can and, um, you know, just because I'm in the media doesn't mean I don't recognize that there's a l- aspects of the media, aspects of what I do, what ESPN does, that is annoying to players and sometimes unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they want to bypass that, again, it's player power. Um, but when you don't have the media filter, sometimes you can get yourself in some hot water. Right. And so mm-hmm. that's why I think we see, as you said, more of a soap opera and more drama yeah. um, because – you know, the media isn't always the big bad wolf. Sometimes we protect players from themselves. <laughs> yeah. um, I have many stories of times when I protected players from themselves or where we know things and could burn a player or burn an organization. And we're like, you know what? We have to work for a long time. Let's not do that. Right. Um, I'm not saying that that's the whole pie. I mean, yeah. like I said, it's a sliver of the pie that we operate in. But um, there are consequences to not having that filter. And um, like one of the things I enjoyed this summer was the wizards expressing to the Cavs that they thought that they were dodging them in the playoffs. (laughs) Um, You know, I like it. Um, That's good for business. um, But with something that 10 years ago, we might not have have heard about. Right. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. Good headlines. We know that. (laughs) I know that ESPN has now added Woj. You've got, Ramona there uh, I mean the talent goes on and on within the media how has it changed over the last year even with I just think the NBA has really just gone to another level in terms of media coverage well again back when I was a kid um, you know we used to report on things when they happened I mean sometimes occasionally you know if it was a huge name um, we would know like um uh, that the guy was on the trade block or whatever, you may have an idea of a trade was going to happen. But generally, we reported on it when it was done. I mean, we were transactional. And, like, I can remember times, you know, and, and the news cycle was, like, once a day for a newspaper. So yeah. I can remember times where, you know, I would literally hear about a trade at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll write that story um, four hours from now when I get home. You know, yeah. like, even if, it was a, even if it was, like, the Kyrie Irving trade, yeah. you, you, you couldn't – there was no way to dis- deploy the information, mm-hmm. even even if you put it on the internet. Not even not everybody saw it. I mean, there w- there wasn't Twitter even. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if you were listening to the radio or watching TV, you caught it. But right. otherwise, you found out about it the next day. 
This is not that long ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now what happens in, in, in basketball reporting, and, you know, I'm probably biased about this, but I think basketball reporting is just more on top of a lot of stuff. Teams, you know, obviously stuff happens that we don't know about, but we're on top of stuff. And mm-hmm. that's like um, when, like, Kyrie Irving was upset that his trade story got out. I was like, what do you think? Do you think – you think that there was going to be trade conversations between teams about Kyrie Irving and we weren't going to ferret that oh, out? Yeah. Right, you think right. we weren't going to hear about that? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that was kind of naive for him to say that. Um, so we're basically all over it now. So now um, there's a whole lot of what I call incremental reporting. So um, so-and-so wants a tra- So-and-so is thinking about asking for a trade. So-and-so mm-hmm. asks for a trade. Yeah. Um, uh, team A has talked to Team B. Team A and Team B talks have broken down. Team A is now talking to Team C, and this goes on and on and on. Um, you know, you see this like w- w- with a, you know, it's just, just just look at how many layers. Um, if you think about like a buyout player goes, okay, uh, he thinks he's thinking about a buyout. They're negotiating a buyout. They're on the verge of a buyout. They've agreed to a buyout. How much money was it for? It's for this amount of money. This player has been put on waivers. The player has cleared waivers. The player is thinking about these teams. The player is getting close to this team. The player has committed to this team. The player has signed with this team. That's like 12 different stories, 12 different headlines on one transaction. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happens now. And by the way, the the basketball fans gobble it up oh yeah um right now we are in an era where fans are obsessed with transactions and is that because they all they all have fantasy teams um is that because the video games the our extensions is up of it um like again back when i started doing this people didn't know the trade rules like right. they had no concept yeah. people would ask me about trades and you'd be like dude what are you talking about? That's not you can't even do that. Fans know now. Yeah, fans so are much more the education way more is educated so much about it. like yep. stuff that we wouldn't even dream of covering in a story, or like we would that we spend twenty minutes detailing on a podcast. Yeah. We would never even dream of putting that in a story because nobody would possibly understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the you know but fans like understand now um, the luxury tax, like why a team might do a deal and. Uh, you know what a salary dump looks like and stuff like that yeah. and um, like it annoys some organizations because mm-hmm. they're like stop worrying about our salaries <laughs> you know stop <laughs> yeah. worrying about you know um, the other thing that is that like um, people in the media and fans watch minutes now mm-hmm. like because oh, yeah. they're attuned to players playing too many minutes oh yeah um, yep. And I think one of the quintessential players of this is how different Allen Iverson would be viewed um, if he played today as if he was when they play, you know, he was sort of in his prime about 15, 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Allen Iverson was a guy who would play 46 minutes a night. Um, he would take 34 shots. He would make nine of them, 12 <laughs> of them. Yep. He would yeah. end up with like 36 points um, on like 38 shots. And people would be like, wow, Iverson was great. And people loved Iverson because of his ball handling and everything like that. If Iverson played today, we would be ripping the fact that he plays so many minutes We'd be ripping the fact that he take that he took you know mid range jumpers. Yeah. We'd be ripping the fact that he had low efficiency. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd be analyzing how many dribbles he had. We'd be yeah. analyzing the lack of floor spacing. Like we would be usage all, rate. Yeah. Right. All that we'd stuff. be killing him for that. We'd be all over him. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that isn't just involved with the media, it's involved with the fan. Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, and you know, like the whole concept of 
not paying attention to points per mm-hmm. game averages and rebound averages, but more towards the, you know, points per possession and stuff. I mean, this is all because the fans have gotten smarter. Mm-hmm. And it's a tremendously positive thing for the league, yeah, even if it's annoying yeah. for the players and the GMs and the coaches who now have to get pestered about stuff they didn't get pestered about before. Does that make it more fun for you guys? I mean, to be able to have those kind of conversations or is it sometimes kind of the same thing where, you know, you'll report on a story and then fans will get, you know, they'll get ahead of themselves and break it all the way down. Well, that's always going to happen. But yeah. we are now having conversations with fans that are on a much higher level than we were. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. just in general, we're way ahead. And, yeah, and that's always and, a good thing. And seeing what engages fans, um, you know, um, writing a story at ESPN that talks about the infighting intrigue in the Milwaukee Bucks ownership situation yeah. and having it get yeah. more than 2 million page reads is extraordinarily uplifting to me. Uh, doesn't mean we won't do post a story about um, LaMelo Ball arriving in his Lamborghini mm-hmm. and that it won't get 4 million views. Mm-hmm. Right. But it can be both. Yep. Yeah. And so I love, um, I love that fans are more – it holds the reporter to a higher standard because fans have more access to information now. And if they see a media member or a reporter who they now identify a lot more than just the faceless – guy the faceless guy atop they now know who the reporters are they can ferret out their biases you know if i do something and there's like well that guy hates so and so and because and i have the i have the receipts i have 11 stories (laughs) where he ripped isaiah thomas um and um so you you hold the media member the higher standard and if the fan realizes that he can do better just doing researching and looking at it on his own it, there's a natural selection that that happens there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it makes it harder, but it's it's not it. You know, we have only seen increased engagement mm-hmm. and increased interest in the league. So yeah. I think, um, on balance, it's been it's been terrific. And I yeah. encourage uh, fans. I mean, there's one thing like more and more and more people when they come up to me, especially people under the age of 30, mm-hmm. come up to me and comment not about stories, not about television appearances. They comment about podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no question. And so that is, I love it. I love it. I, I, I want more of that. There was a, a guy who came to training camp um, who was uh, covering uh, uh, Tomas Saransky, mm-hmm. who was from Czech Republic. And he came up to me and he was very excited about, because he's a podcast listener in Prague. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, and his friends are podcast listeners. That I think is awesome. That was not even... You couldn't even have dreamed of something like that five years ago, much less 10 years ago. Yeah. And it gives an awesome conversation. I mean, I know, you know, my friends, you know, so, so many times now our conversations is like, oh, I was listening to this podcast. I was listening to this. And everybody gets gets to have a longer, you know, we hear about the quick, like clickbaity stuff, but everybody gets to hear a longer conversation now. And I think that's really good. I mean, it's fun for us. We love basketball. We're in it all the time. But um, it's just really cool to hear you know hear people with insight and with a lot of talent really expand on ideas that you know you see a tweet about but then you can listen to an hour yeah, of them talking you can't about get a, you know the basketball the young basketball fan is more demanding mm-hmm. you just can't get away with what you used to be able to get away with if you're going to earn a young basket and it's not all young people but it's mostly young people you're not going to be able to get away 
with stuff anymore. Not only do they not, will they not consume your product, they won't respect you. Yeah. And if they don't respect you, you've really lost, you've lost the battle. You have to win their respect. And if, yeah. you know, if you mess up a story, they will not forget it. Yeah. So you better make sure you don't mess up the story. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And I mean, the NBA, I just feel like it's in such a great place now between we, how you talked about the players, what the power they have, the way the game has just grown internationally, we've seen has just been outstanding. And just from my perspective, I feel like for the long term, I feel like the NBA of the major sports is just is in the best the best shape of any of the sports to kind of move forward with the way it's growing and the way that, you know, the media is now and the way, you know, 2K and the video games and the young fans playing. Um, it just, just my, pers- you know, from a, I work in it, so I'm a little bit biased. Yeah, but we're all biased. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I know I recognize the NFL is extremely popular and that's not going to be going away, but I am glad that I am heavily invested in the NBA as opposed to the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is a, I am glad that that is what I've invested in my career. And I was sort of luck. I mean, 15 years ago when I started, I didn't know, but uh, I'm happy that I'm, I am proud to be involved with that, with that, with this sport, because um, I feel like in five to seven years, the NBA's market share is even going to grow yeah. more. Yeah. No question. And, um, you know, even, even college basketball, I think, is going to be in for some rough times. I think eventually you're going to see the age limit eliminated mm-hmm. and the G League is going to become yeah. a bigger uh, thing. And, like, even in D.C., um, I mean, I can't say this will happen in five years, but maybe in 10 or 12 years, the G League team that's playing in the new arena may be as interesting as Georgetown. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and there's more and more coverage of kids in high school. So um, you may have a point where um, a minor league NBA, you know, a minor league G League game may start to rival some basketball games, especially if they lift the age limit for the G League or if you can go right into the G League out of, out of high school uh, yeah. and get paid a decent amount of money. So, um, like, I think we're headed in that direction. And um, the difference between a minor league baseball player and a minor league basketball player is people know what a minor league basketball player is they know who he is mm-hmm. and he can contribute at age 19 mm-hmm. and um i'm really excited about that final uh, wizards prediction on this season wins playoffs. i mean i feel like they should definitely get over 50 wins which would be great for them and i mean significantly over 50 actually okay um and i just see many really because I, I i i'm a guy who likes um who enjoys the regular season. Obviously, the playoffs are where the money is, but I just see many nights at Capital One Arena where it's just, you know, Wall had 35 tonight, Peel yeah. had 38. Mm-hmm. In three quarters. You know, um, <laughs> right. They, you know, they, they won, you know. Thanks for joining us tonight from Capital One Arena. Final score, Wizards 118, Hawks 99. Like, I, like I just see a lot of those nights. Yeah. yeah. And in it being an enjoyable regular season because they are just going to be more talented and more together mm-hmm. and more focused than so many of their opponents, especially in the East. I mean, mm-hmm. I just could see them, you know, what is their 20, what is there like 25? What, how many East home games are there? 26 East home games. Mm-hmm. Like I could see them going like 21 and five or something, 22 yeah. and f- four, like just yeah. kicking yeah. the tail of everybody that comes through their building and just making just owning that and then and just making that their basis of operations and spending 
February, the conversation is what seat are they going to get? You know, yeah, can right. they get home court in the right. first two rounds? And right. like, that's what I foresee. I mean, you know, I can't foresee sprained ankles, sprained knees, you know, stuff like that. Um, I can't foresee like somebody making a major trade at midseason. Um, I just see them as a team that is going to be in the conversation in the East and a lot of really positive games, a lot of, you know, where fans are like, oh, it's 645. I can't wait for the Wizards games mm-hmm. to start. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, that's really what, kind of what you're looking for, right, mm-hmm. to get you yep. through the winter. Yep. yep. And I think, um, you know, I don't think this, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't think this is a title season and all that stuff, but, um, and ultimately that's what you got to have. And at some point that'll become the expectation. Right. Um, but I think this is a season of enjoyment for Wizards fans is what that's going to be. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, we love to hear that. you coming on no the question. podcast, Brian. That's uh, Brian Winhurst from ESPN. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, the Wiz Kids will be strong heading into this season, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, regular season coming up real quickly. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian.